was 1889, so it was the same year uh, Paris was having their World Fair. Uh, so Paris was building the Eiffel Tower at that time. And over here in Detroit, Detroit, 1889. And the bottle of Detroit, this is for you, man. The bottle of Detroit, this is on all of our flag as we shall rise again from the ashes. And this, that's our motto because of the great 1805 fire. We shall rise again from the ashes. and stone circles many times underwater here in Michigan but not always sometimes on islands and stuff but we have stone circles in these exact same locations as these magnetic anomalies magnetic anomalies mercurial waters in there One number in particular, 1111, comes up over and over again. It's great to drop that out because I mentioned it to my wife yesterday when I was browsing through my notes. I have a map of Michigan on my wall, you know, with pins in it, with all the different incidences, all the way back to the 1700s. And 1111 comes up like six or seven times. What is happening? What a great day. Uh, We are entering into the summer, and boy, oh boy, uh, it has been a wild ride. Today, we are honored to have with us Chad Stimke, who is an amazing researcher, author, and an exister within a very magical place. And he has brought to the attention the magic and crazy syncretic situations happening in Detroit. And I'm going to read an article from his website. And I think you'll find it fascinating. I'm only going to read about half of it. So you're going to have to go to his website and read the West and check out the rest of his stuff. It's awesome. Okay. What if the Detroit River and the surrounding sacred landscapes were more unusual than previously believed or we could have ever imagined? What if there were Native American legends describing this precise region as a gateway or portal to the afterlife? Could local legends also reveal the existence of an ancient and otherworldly gatekeeper? What if the realm of the gatekeeper had an exact location, a location described as a prophetic portal? What if the ancient and sacred landscapes described in the legends and historical accounts had been buried, covered up, and even built over by ancient star forts and the 1889 International World's Fair? Is it possible? That similar gateway portal and otherworldly symbolism may be resurfacing in the form of architecture hidden in plain sight? Could the symbol of the star pentagram be designed in the streets of Detroit? 
and particular areas function as consciousness portals, catalysts connecting us to the past, present, and future. Treading through our ancient past, we will attempt to unbury this lost and possibly hidden knowledge which appears to be resurfacing in the forms of art, architecture, and even cultural events. The Detroit River Legends and Lore The Detroit River flows southwesterly, acting as both a straight and international border between the United States and Canada. The majestic body of water flows for approximately 28 miles and connects the northern Great Lakes, including Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, Lake Huron, and Lake Erie, and Ontario. The first inhabitants of this area along the river were Native Americans. At one time, ancient villages and the sacred mountainsides dotted the landscape on both sides of the waterway. This land along the river was considered sacred for several reasons. One reason was naturally in regards to agriculture, but another was a little more unusual. This area was also considered to be a gateway between realms. There are several legends as well as historical accounts that describe this otherworldly scenario. And the Keeper of the Gates Ottawa mythology says that long ago, Chief Sleeping Bear had a daughter who was so beautiful that he kept her hidden in a covered boat tied up onto the banks of what is now called the Detroit River. The chief hid his daughter to keep her from being ogled by mortal men who he thought would be unable to handle seeing her beauty one day as the chief was bringing her food the wind spirits caught a glimpse through the flaps of the covered boat and were so taken by her beauty that they decided to whip up a storm in order to blow the cover off of her boat and get a better view they blew so hard however that it broke free of its mooring and went adrift down the river. The keeper of the water gates saw the drifting boat and rescued her. He was so enthralled by her beauty that he took her into his lodge. But the wind saw and became angry, and they buffeted him so fiercely that he was killed. The wind spirits guided the girl back to her father, Chief Sleeping Bear. They begged him not to hide her anymore but instead place her on an island in the river where she would be safe from mortal men. But the spirits would be able to gaze upon her beauty. The chief agreed to this. He placed her on now what is Belle Isle in the Bishid Glitch Manitou to guard the isle with many snakes so that men would not come there. The girl who lived there was happy that she now had a beautiful place to run free instead of being hidden. In fact, even the snakes of the island were charmed by the girl's beauty and worshipped her. Glitchy Manitou was impressed by this and made the girl immortal to rule and dwell upon this isle forever. Later, when the white man came, he initially named this island Rattlesnake Island. Her spirit is referred to as the Snake Goddess and is said to inhabit Belle Isle still as an apparition of the forest. Anywho, the girls would, would be lover, the dead water gate keeper, 
was placed nearby on what was known later as the Il Ao Peach or Peach Island. His spirit lived in solitude on this smaller island, and it is said that braves went to the island for meditation and to seek wisdom from his spirit before going into battle. His voice sounded like the wind in the trees and could only be understood by those who had fasted and observed proper meditation. The local Native Americans were very familiar and respectful of the realm of the gatekeeper. In 1762, Chief Pontiac visited Peche Island after a foreboding that came in form of an unusual weather occurrence. The unusual weather resulted in what had been called Detroit's Dark Day on October 19, 1762. A darkness filled the sky, and the, shortly after, black rain fell to the ground. This extremely rare weather phenomenon scared early settlers and is argued that the Native American chief Pontiac saw it as a sign to start a war. Following this sign, Pontiac chose to visit Peche Island to seek counsel from the prophet and the keeper of the gates. While the water gatekeeper may have occupied a consciousness portal, the gateway to the altar life, excuse me, the afterlife was located just down the river. Dwarfing all of the burial mounds in the vicinity was the massive great mound on the river Rogue. Located is what now Detroit's Delray neighborhood and was estimated that originally measured 200 feet wide and 300 feet long, covering more than an acre and standing 40 feet tall, but it may have much larger at one point. The significance of the Great Mound was it was considered a portal to the afterlife. Thousands of bodies found their final resting place within this mound. Every so many years, the scared mound would be the location of the Huron Feast of the Dead. The Huron Feast of the Dead was a mortuary custom of the Wyandotte people, which involved the discernment and deceased relatives of their initial individual graves, followed by their reburial in the final communal grave. A time for both mourning and celebration, the custom became spiritually and culturally significant. This location became known as the region to many tribes as gateway between realms, life and death, the past, present, and the future. Detroit Star Forts The first mention of the Native American sacred landscapes along the river come from the French missionaries in 1600s. These missionaries claim to have found a large stone idol on Belle Isle, venerated by the locals. The missionaries destroyed the guardian idol with axes and threw it into the river. This would be the beginning and forcing of the destruction to the ancient land to come. In 1701, French explorer Antoine Cadillac and his crew entered the Straits of the River looking for the perfect location to bring into fruition the new city of Detroit. The perfect location was a piece of real estate situated along the river in the heart of the Native American landscape. Cadillac and his men moved ashore, creating their first permanent structure. 
first Ponchard train, also known as Fort Detroit, Fort Detroit would take on the shape of a star, also known as a star fort. This would be one of the first of the many times that the symbol of the star would be stamped upon the landscape of the Detroit River. The British would eventually take over Fort Detroit. The British commanders felt that several hundred yards to the north on higher ground would make more suitable location for the star fort. Like the French before, the British built a new star-shaped fort in the heart of Detroit, Fort Shelby. In 1796, the British abandoned the fort and moved operations to the opposite side of the river, keeping with the theme another star fort was constructed called Fort Madine. According to our timeline, this would be the third star fort built on this ancient sacred landscape. Well, there you have it, y'all. That's all I'm going to read from that awesome article. You can check out more at chadsdoomedkey.com. And I advise that you do. After talking with Chad and have heard him, have, have, sorry, has heard his um, original interview before, it really opened my eyes. He was one of the first people to open my eyes to this this esoteric landscapes of the of the cities here in this entire country really um you know but that that came later first it was just cities and then just really expounding the uh the situation um that we <laughs> that we're living in here in america and if you're not living in america then i'm sure it's also around you as well anywho um yeah super interesting i mean I'm not going to talk too much on this. There's a lot of things to take away from that great article. One thing I will say is Chief Pontiac was a Native American chief. And then you had another leader of the French called Cadillac. Those are both names of cars now. Which I find interesting because Detroit was the capital of like car making back in the day. So that's like a form of syncretism on its own. Which is interesting. Uh, to say the least so yeah enjoy this interview uh enjoy your day enjoy your life enjoy existing while we still can <laughs> i'm just kidding uh you guys are great thank you fire tribe uh don't forget to go to the patreon three dollars a month and you get more goodness wait hold up more goodness that's right more goodness um as well as the telegram definitely sign up for the telegram yeah i'm gonna have links for all that in the show notes and you guys can chat it up out there with dan and i out there rocking the sauce sharing articles with the sweet sweet awesome fam on telegram the telegram fam situation never scram you know i want to i want to shout out to um i want to shout out to rob rob you're the homie out there, always always keeping alive in the chats. Um, Michael, Eric Witt, Andrea, Morgan B, Walt's Frozen Head. I love the pseudonym, dude. My boy Symbolic Studies, and many, many more. Many, many more. Yeah, guys. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. I know you guys are going to enjoy this. And just wait. 
We got more syncretism coming for you this month. Hey everybody, welcome to Rising from the Ashes. Uh, it is the homie Romy. Unfortunately, Dan is not with us today. He is finishing moving up into his new house. So I will have the pleasure of chatting with a new friend, an author, a researcher of everything that the Fire Tribe is absolutely about. Uh, today, we are honored to have Chad Stemke with us here today. How are you doing, Chad? Roman, man, doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, dude. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Oh, been, man. Been your show for a while now, and I can't believe I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> You know, what's awesome about this for me is that I heard you on the higher side chat and, you know, like there's a couple episodes that, that made me like become a plus member, uh, to that. And yours was it. Like I listened to the first hour and I was like, what in the actual fuck? I was like, this is, it's, it's just so fascinating. It's, it's everything, um, that you research is like this perfect blend of uh, uh of ancient history with the modern esoterica like an occultic foundation of this country which is so suppressed i mean we've been digging into the ancient americas this month and you know the pre-columbian americas and it's just everything that we've basically been told about the foundation of of america as we know it um especially north uh is so suppressed and when you find out stuff like this that there's this you know kind of um i think you call it ooh, i'm gonna i don't want to butcher it uh submersive symbology or what's this there's a term that you have uh resurfacing, resurfacing. Uh, it's uh it was ah, damn something it was like a it was, it was it's a beautiful word but there's the, the symbology and the architecture man and you live in detroit right uh, i used to live in detroit i still live in michigan but i moved north a couple hours a few years back nice how do you like that how's the move doing you oh man it's amazing it's absolutely amazing i live out in the middle of the woods in northern michigan the middle of lakes and rivers doing my closest neighbors a half mile away it, it's amazing you know, <laughs> oh, shit. I, I went, I went from living downtown Detroit, like in the heart of the city, you know, to the heart of the woods. You can make a bigger switch. And I love it, man. You know, I love it. Well, it's funny. You were living in the in the in the heart of the city. Right. Yeah. And uh, but you weren't actually living. Well, maybe you were uh, living in Heart <laughs> Plaza of downtown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't living in Hart Plaza, but I would walk my dog and skateboard there all the time. I, I lived probably about three miles from Hart Plaza, where I was on the east side of Detroit. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm finna do um, a, a trip up there. Hopefully there's, uh, when we talked on the phone, uh, we were you were, you were saying that they're going to throw like a music festival at the Star Fort that's there. Yes, I want to say it was August, if I'm not mistaken. There's an electronic music festival at the Starfort. And actually, this coming weekend, Memorial Weekend, there's a huge electronic music festival at Hart Plaza. Oh. And that's one of the biggest music festivals in the country every year. It, they call it the Movement Festival. And it's incredible, dude. People wow. just rock it out. 
its architecture and they had the Stargate stage, the pyramid stage. So like the people promote it, they recognize the symbolism and they utilize it, you know, right in the promotions. And this place is creating, you know, so much frequency and vibration in a place that we talk about is set up for that, you know. Wow. Heart so pleasant a little bit. You kind of understand it's a crazy place to have one of these events like this. Yeah, so, man. Yeah, That's awesome nuts. Are you going to go? Um, maybe. It's about 50-50 right now. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure. I have some family plans, but it's a good lineup, man. Everybody from Two Chains to Skrillex to Jeff Mills. I mean, they're just they're just great lineup. Wow, that's nuts, man, to think about. You know, because hearing um, you know you talk about the symbolism and the deep, deeper uh resonance of of understanding these these architects and artists that built heart plaza and then to think that you know people are recognizing that on a massive level and then putting sound frequency and resonance into the into the mix i mean i if people are heightened on some sort of um conscious altering uh drugs then that's gonna yeah. add to the level man like i just i wish i was there to interview people straight up uh oh, but yeah for the people that maybe have not um heard of your work your book and the work that you've been working on for over a decade you have presentations on your youtube channel that are would would still completely relevant and will always be relevant because these are huge stargate cities and if yo fire tribe if you guys aren't open to the stargate city symbolism and everything get ready because this shit is really fucking cool so you wouldn't give us like a maybe a history of how you came into you know the the understanding of the stargate symbolism where you're from and and whatever you want to share with your history can you give us the down low of chad my man yeah for sure uh well, initially it all started with i had a couple uh ufo uap experiences and that led me, long story short, to looking at ancient star, star legends and star lore of the Native Americans and looking at their Native American mounds. And what I found out shortly after looking into the mounds was that a lot of the times in North America, the mounds were gone. And what was there was either a big city or a lot of times there would be an actual park right on top of the same place that were the mounds. And this was the case how I found Hart Plaza was right on the Detroit River. This was an ancient sacred mound site. And now Hart Plaza sits on top of it. And all the symbolism that emerges within the art and the architecture, amazingly, sometimes shows the same symbolism that the Native Americans or the legends around the mounds used to show. So I started going city to city and finding out this was taking place in more than one city. It wasn't just Detroit, St. Louis, same scenario. They built over the mounds and they built the gateway arch on top of it. They did it in Nashville. They did it in Philadelphia. They did it all around the country. So I started really digging into some of the symbolism of the art that was showing up and the artists and architects who made it and, you know, just crazy synchronicities and information starts to show up so i've probably spent like you said a good 10 years now in just detroit by itself you know kind of working my way backwards in history and trying to figure out what exactly is going on where all the symbolism is coming from so to speak 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely nuts. I know that um, Memphis, you know, which is heavily the name is just it is ancient Egypt right. and it has some very strange, uh, you know, ties to what Memphis actually was and is, uh, you know, city of death and everything on a fucking mound. And there's this term that I heard recently from a guest that we had on, um, which will be featured in the month that you're coming into we're designing this month um to follow our ancient america month into the esoteric landscape uh month like i'm still coming up with a good name of it but it's gonna be you peter shampoo michael Wan, and rospin and Corey daniels and it's gonna be a packed month of all this esoterica um to follow up with ancient america month and the more i learn from you guys all of this stuff the more i'm finding out that the foundation from our founding fathers forefathers i'm using air quotes here people um is far more esoteric and occult than we could ever imagine with magical ritual pra practices and understandings and whether or not um because i've heard you say uh that a lot of times that maybe these artists are you don't think that they were like absolutely conscious of this like it was almost like a free will type of intuitive you know like i mean for to be an artist you you are open on a level of your intuition that maybe not you know non-artists are, are not fully open to right in that fallopian tube of <laughs> streamlined consciousness um but I'm actually watching this show right now uh, called Defiance. Yeah. Did you ever see that show? I've seen, I haven't seen the whole season, but I've seen little bits of it, yeah. And it's 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 focused in St. Louis, Missouri, and yeah. it's got the yeah. Stargate thing. It's just like... Oh. <laughs> so there again is like this, this understanding that these might actually be fucking Stargates and 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 portal entrances and stuff like that so can we go in a little bit deeper into the heart plaza and the history of heart plaza and how that came to be in detroit uh detroit's modernity yeah for sure and i'll, I'll try to help explain a little bit why i think these could be some of these artists could be somewhat subconscious on times of their designs mm -hmm. and it'll make a little more sense once i get into it so Hart Plaza was designed by a guy named Osama Noguchi in the mid-70s. And he came to town and he designed a plaza that what I figured out was it's aligned and correlated to the Giza pyramids as well as the constellation of Orion. So what he did is he took several monuments, the amphitheater, a pyramid, and the horse and sun fountain, and aligned them identical as to the Giza plateau. And there's also a giant obelisk or pylon that's in the exact position where the Sphinx would be. Now, the question is, did he do this intentionally or subconsciously? And there is a possibility that it was intentionally because I did some research and he had been to Egypt the previous year before he came in. And he called it a soul journey, spent a year in Egypt and he went around the pyramids and he was supposedly interested and the relationship that the Egyptians had with their temples. So that kind of correlates. So when he comes back here, this is his first opportunity in Detroit to ever build a park. He built other sculptures, but this was his first chance to build an entire park. 
and he built this part and it's aligned to the pyramids, just, just like the Egyptians. But this is in 1974, 20 years before the Giza-Orion correlation theory that Robert Duvall came up with in 1990s. So nobody had ever heard of this scenario of the pyramids being aligned to the stars at this point. So did, was he the first one to you know, re reveal this in America in the form of Heart Plaza, but never tell anybody because I've read every interview, everything he's ever put out, he's never said, I aligned this plaza to the pyramids. The closest he came is he said, one day this symbolism will be recognized when the time is right. But he's never out and that's, out. Said, that's I, pretty I, revealing on its own it's right there. Though, right? It is, it is. So there is that possibility, it's intentional, but as far as possibility that it's subconscious, because I think what happens is these artists and architects go down to these sacred pieces of landscape and they stand on them and they literally try to get a feel for what will fit in. And sometimes they get these visions of what will fit in with the landscape. As far as intentionally in the 40s, 1947, Osama Noguchi, when he was younger, he had a vision for a face to be seen from Mars. And he was going to create this huge earthen land work. It's going to be two miles by a mile face made out of earth looking at the sky so big that you'd be able to see it from the moon or Mars. And this was according to Noguchi in case we blew ourselves up in a nuclear holocaust because this is 1947. So the point is 30 years later, NASA starts sending back images, you know, whatever you think of that, but they send back images of a face to be seen from Earth, a face on Mars that looks identical to this face of Mars that Gucci came up with in 1947. So that's one time amongst others where I think Noguchi may have tapped into the subconscious and seen the future, so to speak. And so is that possibly what happened when he came down to Detroit and stood on this piece of sacred landscape to get a feel what would fit in? You know, when he was designing the blueprints that he even totally 100% consciously realize he was aligning it or not. I can't say, but either way, the final product is we got this amazing plaza with this incredible symbolism that's emerged on this once sacred piece of landscape. Okay, nuts, all together, all around nuts, <laughs> all around insane and nuts. Uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously we've all heard, hopefully have all heard about um, the face on Mars. And for him to say that in 47, um, I mean, just talking about space travel, even at that point is, yeah. you know, it's, it's taboo. I mean, it's right around the time of Roswell, just right a couple of years before. I'm, we weren't around during that time to know really what the hype and the talk was and how yeah. esoteric the nature of these conversations were, but um, inevitably so, rather esoteric in their, in their meaning. Yeah. And... Uh, but my next question is, did Noguchi get um, brought on and into uh, Detroit or was he working on this for Detroit and then came to the city and said, let me build this here? What, what, what happened? They had a contest. Yep, they had a contest. And every time Detroit has a new park or new sculpture, pretty much what they do is they have a contest. So they have a contest, 30, 40 guys come down and walk around get a feel for what fits in, come up with designs, and then the judges picks the design they feel that fits in. That's what happened with Noguchi. And then 
30 years later when they did updates, they did the same thing. They had a hundred artists come in, do designs for a new sculpture that was gonna sit at the entrance to the plaza. And the guy who picked the design that fit in the best wins the design. And in that case, it happened to be a giant stargate that sits at the entrance of the plaza and just happened to update Noguchi's plaza. So the end, end product of Heart Plaza, you know, 30 years later, you had Noguchi's plaza aligned to the pyramids and Orion. Then in 2001, they added some more sculptures. One was a giant 63 foot, it looks like a stargated portal sitting at the entrance of the plaza, I mean, undeniably. And, you know, the couple other sculptures, they got another one at the back of the plaza and it was called the Gateway to Freedom. So another gateway reference. Uh, one of the fountains got received a new plaque saying this is a, at the gateway to a great city, referring to Heart Plaza as a gateway again. So this gateway and Stargate symbolism just keeps re-emerging for whatever reason on this piece of property, no matter which artist and architect wins the design. Um, yeah, I'm wondering uh, now about the people who are throwing or holding these contests and, you know, um, and their occultic ties and, and their political ties and what have you, because th there's a lot of intention going into this, right? There's a attention about the intention about the esoteric art that's laid out here. And, you know, it's it's rather interesting that, you know, we live in this kind of paradigm in our reality here in America where, um, you know, you might get ridiculed or shamed for, you know, talking about such outlandish ideas and you can get labeled a conspiracy theorist for even sometimes believing in like, uh, you know, extraterrestrial beings, right? Or something along those lines but the biggest cities the richest cities in the country have this deep esoteric cosmic art that costs a lot of money there you know it's it's paying homage to our ancient ancestors um but it's not something that our our politics and our government openly talks about the symbolism it's almost like you have to be interested in it and like look into it yourself but our, our government is never going to just up and say yeah so we totally believe in atlantean circle uh, portal paradigms that the indigenous cultures were using as they you know the mound building culture looked at the split in sky on the winter solstice and their soul did a sojourn around the cosmos like it's just not something that our american political parties recognize while they you know play on their stage of bullshit in my opinion right um it's it's fucking crazy and so it's it's like it goes to show that true i'm gonna i'm using the word occult and esoteric like scattered throughout this this conversation today right so artist and architectures are and design artists and everything are held at the high powers of occult um, and as esoteric groups, um, the, the the rich uh, and and the famous people that control the paradigm reality here that we live and exist in, um, our rituals are held with art, high intention art, and artists are some of the most high prized possession people within these like these circles, and so. 
it's super important to look at them and to to study these things because they're tying in all of this crazy symbolism and whether or not it's intentional or not it is relevant and significant especially with the syncretism um that's a word that i didn't say earlier that peter peter shampoo taught me about syncretism, where they lay things on top of these ancient um indigenous very important uh, uh, landscapes that have magnetic anomalies. And that's the next thing I would like to segue into is Detroit is a magnetic anomaly on its own as like a state or a city, right? Can we, can we talk about that? What, what's up with all of this crazy ma uh, magnetic gravitational uh, anomalies here around your area? Around Michigan in, in particular, we, we, we have things called, well, we have the, called the Great Lakes Triangle that encompasses all the Great Lakes, a giant triangle where we just have tons of missing ships and planes and people and just stuff goes wrong mechanically, you know, with the ships and boats. And they call that the Great Lakes Triangle. We have a smaller, more focused area in Lake Michigan. They call it the Lake Michigan Triangle where things get even more strange. And, you know, there's been studies done over it. We had a thing called Project Magnet where they studied the anomalies over the state and we have high magnetic anomalies all over, and we have the missing ships and people and planes to prove it, you know. And all the way back into ancient times, I think these anomalies have been marked. We have stone circles many times underwater here in Michigan, but not always, sometimes on islands and stuff. But we have stone circles in these exact same locations as these magnetic anomalies. And these missing ships, boats, planes, and people. So it's a it's a weird scenario, almost like a Bermuda Triangle type scenario. But supposedly there's been studies done. Where, you know, we have more incidents than that within some of the localized areas. Fuck yeah, that's so nuts. Like I was watching some videos on your YouTube channel just to freshen up before we chatted, and you guys, there is so many accounts of ships planes going missing yeah. and one of the ones that stuck out to me today that was kind of a synchronicity for me um because i'm a scorpio myself i was born in in that in that zodiacal time period yeah. and there is a lot of zodiac uh, or sorry scorpio symbolism or, or dates like the, the the dates of were always in scorpio every time it was brought up with um i think his name was ken ross um he went vanishing in you know november 11th i believe and there was other vanishments that happened in november and one of the guys was born in october uh late october which was born as a scorpio went missing as a scorpio and but one of the crazy things was ken ross had the same birthday as ken merrill who is my ex-stepfather who is both scorpios named ken born on november 11th uh or that november 11th i'm not sure if ken ross was born then but i think he went missing on that day and it just like was like like i don't even know like what, what about this area screams scorpio to you well to me like you said well one number in particular 11 11 comes up over and over again it's weird you brought that up because i was mentioning it to my wife yesterday when i was browsing through my notes I have a map of Michigan on my wall, you know, with pins in it, with all the different incidences, all the way back to the 1700s, 
And 1111 comes up like six or seven times throughout the years in different cases. Total vanishing. But, you know, a skeptic would say, because it's on the lakes, would say it's the fall, fall weather on the lakes is rough. You know, it's crazy out there in November on Lake Superior, which it is. But when you dig into these cases, the way things take place, it, it's not normal. You know, they either vanish within an instant or it, it's just not normal. You know, several incidents will happen on different sides of the lake that will correlate in some weird, strange ways. You know, like in one instance, there was a pilot who went missing chasing a UFO and he was never to be found again. And one of his buddies was stationed 300 miles away on the opposite side of Lake Michigan. And his plane went down on the same day, early morning, his plane just quit and crashed. They were both flying brand new Scorpion planes. Whoa. And both of their planes crashed separately. Well, the one guy just vanished. One guy crashed on the same day. And synchronistically, their wives are still best friends and lived next door to each other. So as one guy's wife was getting the news that her husband disappeared chasing a so-called UFO over Lake Superior, she's being consoled and other wife finds out, well, yeah, your husband went down too. And his scorpion, his plane just quit and went down and they never found him. All they found, they made the, they made the recognition by finding his parachute in the swamp. They said he must have been down so hard in the swamp that, you know, the plane vanished, sunk into the swamp and vanished. And they found this unopened parachute and, you know, said, oh, yep, this is, this was him. So and that, all, that all took place on, I want to say that one, I want to say that was on 11-11. If not, it was like 11-10 or something. Wow. I, I don't know what the, oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. I was to say, I think the Edmund Fitzgerald, those giant steamer ship might have went down on 11-11 also, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. That's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know what to, I, I'm going to have to dig deeper into this and get back to you on this. If it's, if it's something about, you know, our correlation with the sun at this time, because, you know, I know we're moving into the winter time from the fall period. And that means that there's maybe more anomalistic situations happening due to the time of the year. Um, yeah. But there's there's all this stuff. I mean, also with the the magnet uh, um, symbolism, you know, this area has been known for having this really famous copper mine, right? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. It's called Isle Royal and the Keweenaw Peninsula. There are ancient copper mines that were discovered. They've been dated to up to six to 7,000 years old. So we are talking, you know, ancient. They, they got these dates from doing late quarter samples. And there's supposedly up to a half billion to a billion pounds of pure copper missing from these mines, so to speak. And they've, you know, across Michigan, they find little trinkets and necklace pieces and stuff. But these pieces add up to this, a small fraction of all this pure copper that's missing. And most likely, a lot of this copper, I believe a lot of this copper went over to fuel the Bronze Age. Over in Europe, they had a problem. Where did all this copper come from to build all this armor, build all, you know, 
And over here, we got a problem. Where did all our copper go? So I'm pretty <laughs> sure, most likely, somebody was coming over here and getting a lot of this copper and going back. This would have been a trade secret. This would have been the gold of the day, so to, you know what I'm saying? So you kept this a secret. But if you go up to Copper Harbor, Isle Royal up there, there are petroglyphs on the cliff faces of ships that look like Phoenician ships. I mean, identical to a Phoenician ship. So I'm pretty sure the Phoenician might have been up there. There's, a, you know, there's also, this is strange, but there are legends, lots of legends of giants in the area. The neighboring peninsula is called the Land of the Sleeping Giant. There wow. are these giant handprints all over the rock faces. There's legends of giants in the area. So that's one strange thing, the connection with the giants and the copper. If you ever see, it should even cartoon depictions. You see a giant, they'll always have copper bracelets, copper armor, copper everything. And I think that's seated in a kernel of truth from somewhere. But that's one of the legends up there is, you know, the legends of the giants. And they're separate. You know, the legends of the copper miners, they keep them separate. But they, they sure correlate re really closely. And one of the strangest thing about the, these copper mines are there are no... There's no burial sites and there's no remnants of the ancient copper miners. There's no, they haven't found any bones. The only artifacts they find are what are called hammer stones, which are just giant stones that they would supposedly chisel out this copper with. But there's no ancient villages, no ancient sites, nothing. And that's one of the big mysteries. So they're not sure if they just came in and did this mining and then went south during the winter months but there's, there's like literally left no remnants behind, which is super unusual for any archeological site. There's no remnants other than these stone hammer, hammer stones. Ah, fuck man, <clears throat> this is deep because, um, you know, we had a um, guest on not too long ago, Rick Osman, who wrote yeah. a book called The Graves of the, Go uh, Great Graves of the Golden Bear. And it, in his book, he kind of like paints all these, um, these uh real i'm going to call it realities of ancient romans coming over here and you know using the ohio valley river which i'm sure connects up to detroit you know uh, i'm not sure of the, the 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 geographical layout of that but it would make sense that if there was ancient phoenicians ancient romans ancient greeks coming over here um to to have access to this very known um it would be known from the atlantean times right like it would be known Absolutely. that they marked these areas of magnetic anomalies with whatever type of technology that they had to identify these areas because you look at places like stonehenge right which is more stone circles with magnetic anomalies happening and it's yep. marked it's marked with the stone circles and you know what have you so it really does correlate like you know when you take these different researchers and you you take this information and you kind of step back and look yes 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 absolutely the northern northeast part of the country was on its own trip it was very very special and so you start to look at the foundational beginnings of this of america and the mainstream story that we're told, why is it all focused around the Northeast? Okay. Yeah. The, the Spaniards originally came to Florida and they came <laughs> down south, right? Like that they knew about 
South America before North America. And they were obviously fucking they well versed in travel, so they knew about North America. So it just it's really interesting that the occultic Freemason forefathers of the founding of the country focused the stories and everything on this mysterious land of the Northeast, bro. And so I guess let's tie uh, uh, let's keep going in um, on Detroit. Uh, you recently sent me an article that you have yet to post on your website. I'm I'm sure. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So over the years, like I I made kind of the discovery of Heart Plaza and some of the symbolism, and I I kind of worked my way backwards in research. I would start with the artists and architects and research them. And I kind of you know got to the 70s and the 50s and 60s, and I've been working my way backwards for years. You know, got to the 20s and Aleister Crowley and the Freemasons, but it wasn't till recently that I was you know really like I knew there was a Starfort in Detroit, and I knew people were talking about Starfort, so I, wanted, I started looking into the Starfort in Detroit, and I realized, well, I didn't realize, I figured out the Starfort in Detroit, there wasn't one of them, there had been four of them, and there's still two of them left. Wow. So I started started the research, you know, how did these Starforts, supposedly, according to the mainstream timeline, come into fruition? And... Well, I guess I'll just kind of, I'll just do a quick history of Detroit for the Star Force for the first hundred years or so. And in 1701, that's Detroit's origination, a French explorer pulled ashore where Hart Plaza is today, where it was a Native American sacred mound site. Very first place, he said, that's the spot to start Detroit. He pulled ashore, they built a cedar star fort. This was called Fort Detroit. So the very first structure on the banks of the Detroit River, besides the Native Americans, was a French cedar star fort. Well, the Native Americans weren't too into that. And they, you know, after not too long, they eventually burnt down that fort. Well, the British, this is, you know, the 1700s, late 1700s, and now the British are coming to town. And they pulled ashore and three blocks away from where the French star fort was, they built another cedar star fort just out of cedar post but in the shape of the star native americans once again this was the indian wars they ended up burning down the british star fort so the british decided it'd be safer on the opposite side of the detroit river and they moved to the opposite side of the river and built called fort naldine a nice earthen star fort and this one still resides there today now the same time this is happening finally the United States is in Detroit, and they decide that they're going to build their own star fort. So they build a star fort called Fort Wayne on the last remaining big Native American sacred landscape, just downriver from Hart Plaza. And this was the ceremonial spot on the river. There was a mound called the Great Mound, and it was 200 feet wide by possibly 400 feet long. We're talking the base of it, the size of the Great Pyramid, just huge. And this is where they would come to bury their dead. They would have what was called the Huron Feast of the Dead. And every so many years, they would the native tribes would come and turn their dead here. They thought this was a portal to the afterlife. Well, this is where they decided to build the American Star Fort, right on top of this sacred landscape. So they built Fort Wayne on top of it, but the, uh, half of the 
Great Mound was still there. They built the Fort Wayne and some of the circular mounds, but the Great Mound was still there. I have a question really quick. Do they yeah. dig into these mounds when they build, or are they strictly building on top of not, mounds? Not only did they dig into them when they built Fort Wayne, they did renovations a couple years ago, like 15 years ago, and when they did the renovations on Fort Wayne, the earthen mound, they found Native American skeletons interred all within the earthen structure of the mound itself. So they literally dug the mounds up and used them to build the star fort. I just it just blows my mind. Oh, completely over my head as to why. There's one small conical mound left, like five foot tall, fifteen foot around, sitting in front of a house, and it's fenced in with a little plaque. That's the last mound <laughs> residing there. Now, yeah, sickening, man, sickening. Now, right next door was what remained of the Great Mount. By this time, the Great Mound was down to about half its size, 100 foot by 200 foot. And they had actually been selling off this mound, selling off the sand of this mound as building material in town. Two and a half cents a barrel, selling it to, for building material. And this, at this point is when the Detroit World Fair came to town. So they thought the best place to host the World's Fair would be on the same piece of property as the remnants of the Great Mound. So they built the exposition grounds once again on top of the Great Mound. What was left of it, they let fairgoers for a quarter could actually go dig in the mound and try to find remnants to take home as a souvenir. And what was so left of the mound. disrespect. It's like massive well, amounts of disrespect. And what was left of it, they used to tamp down the pathways of the fair so it wasn't so sandy. They're so, so dusty, so they use the sand to tamp down the dust. So literally, these fairgoers are walking around the remnants of this mound under their literally stamping on it, digging in it, and there's estimates that over, I think it was 1,300 skeletons, they figured, were literally just dumped into the river from this mound as they desecrated. So, I mean... That, that was the end of the Native American remnants in Detroit. All that remained there was that one final little mound by Fort Wayne fenced in with a plaque. Oh, uh, I just, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the indigenous uh, beliefs of the bones of their ancestors and the bones of the people and just think that it doesn't cross correlate with, you know, European culture. It, it doesn't make sense to me, it, you know, because it's such an ancient way. I mean, it also Egyptians, you know, everything that the European foundation was built off of also understand the importance of, of skeletal remnants. And so when you're digging into a grave and building it, building with it, giving people access to it, spreading the sand across, it's like, you know, because talk about the World's Fairs, a lot of times, um, you know, they're associated with these types of great resets or like repopulation type of theories. You know, when you dig into the Tartaria stuff where star forts are also find their way into that paradigm reality as well. And, uh, you know, it just it just all I'm all I'm visualizing is like seance type of synchrotistic seance. You know, like, why are you spreading the remains of, of, of 
of of history and of people and you know these graveyards you wouldn't go to a great a, a civil war graveyard dig it up and be like you know what hey who, anybody want to come uh 20 bucks i'll let you fucking dig out old grandpa's dick like it doesn't make any sense you know and so let's let's go into more about this world's fair if you don't mind uh because i'm fascinated by the world's fairs man yeah, for sure. It was 1889. So it was the same year uh, Paris was having their World Fair. Mm -hmm. uh, so Paris was building the Eiffel Tower at that time. And over here, Detroit was trying to, there were several cities in the running for the Great Fair, which would become Chicago. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of Detroit's attempt to be picked for that. So it was only like a 70 acre, you know, area. But just like all the other fairs, it only took them five months from start to finish. It was a, supposedly a swampy land. You know, one guy was quoted as saying, I was just hunting ducks here last fall or something like that. <laughs> but it was a swampy land. They built all the structures within five months. Uh, giant structures. Uh, Are any of them still here today? Uh, no. All gone. They, they, that was, they destroyed them all except for a brewery there was a brewery that remained but it was just a small insignificant brewery hmm. but all the big buildings they had the fair annually for two years after the initial year mm -hmm. and then after the third year they just tore them all down and at that point was the time of the automobile was coming in and they built the ford river rouge plant on top of it mm -hmm. so the, the ford, ford river rouge plant would be the final stamping you know of these ancient american sites that's yeah, a stack of scientism <laughs> yeah, it just goes on and on that's why i've been doing this 10 years man because the layers they just they just keep going keep going i mean it's crazy it's crazy <sighs> so that was you know the world's fair literally stamped out the native american history so that, that's kind of what I've been looking at the last couple of months is literally the bearing, literally the bearing of the Native American sacred landscapes along the Detroit River systematically, like starting at Hart Plaza with the French, you know, then with the British, then the Americans, and then the exposition. They just stamped it all out and buried the history of the Native Americans along this river. Yeah, that's that's nuts. And then I, I can't even get in to the Henry Ford shit because, you know, Henry Ford was known um, for burning down all of these railways across the country so he could implement his, you know, car factory. And so the fact that, you know, Detroit is focused on that um, is very interesting. And um you know, like talking about the gateway symbolism and this flux that Detroit has seen itself through, Michigan has seen itself through these these fluxes of energy, monetary-wise, political-wise. It wants to be Chicago. You know, it has ties to Chicago. It has. So maybe we could go into that and talk about um, these different Stargate cities and maybe how they line up or they correlate together why are stargate cities you know labeled that like because you've dug into st louis and chicago a little bit right oh absolutely well but basically the reason they got labeled that is because there were literal there's so much literal gateway symbolism 
encapsulated around the symbol of the star. Literally, like when we start going through Detroit, you'll see the symbol of the pentagram is everywhere. It just keeps reemerging, resurfacing consistently all the way from the street layouts to Peter Sham Peter Shampoo's Michigan biome is a pentagram. Yeah. You scale that pentagram down to Detroit, the street layout, it's a pentagram. You scale down to the center of that pentagram, and that's Campus Mars, where you have a pentagonal-shaped building. You scale down to the center of that pentagonal-shaped building, there's a pentagonal-shaped glass pyramid. Inside that pentagonal-shaped glass pyramid, there's a pentagram. Ah, <laughs> I, I mean, ah. driving around that building are Chrysler cars with pentagram hood ornaments. It's like, it was, <laughs> so between the star and all the gateway symbolism, Stargate Detroit. What you know? the fuck, man? That is nuts. That is fractalized. I mean, you can't, you can't make that shit up. I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's, and you know, it's it's. I that's why I say in some cases, and in some cases, this stuff is intentional. But in some cases, I feel like like this symbol was destined for whatever reason. This symbol was destined for the streets of Detroit. Huh? There's is... not one. There isn't one person behind all of that. You know, that's, mm-hmm. there's something behind that that's bigger, you know, if it's a simulation, if it's destiny, I don't know, but it's something bigger. Shit, man. Yeah, absolutely. Vortex, you know, I mean, if I, it goes back way back, way back, you know, because this, this marking, this land was marked by ancient ancestors. Yes. yes. And so... Yeah. I have a feeling that, like these cities, like I call them Stargate cities or urban portals. There's St. Louis, and it's the same scenario. Like when you dig into all the symbolism and the history, it's almost the same scenario as Detroit. All ancient landscapes built on top of with gateway symbolism. And I think before all of this, even before the Native Americans, these pieces of real estate themselves, there, there's something special about. Them. Are they just magnetic anomalies? Are they actual portals? Or I think what there is some type of like a consciousness portal, a place where you can connect and receive information, possibly receive and transmit information. And I feel like maybe that's why these places that are so far apart are coming up with the same kind of symbolism. It could be, you know, resonating and emerging from the past or something. It could be coming from the future some point. You know, I, I make the point, I don't know where this is coming from, but they, they, these cities do correlate, you know, many times to each other. And that's one of the big mysteries is I don't know where this is coming from. I pointed out, you know, a lot of them are built on ancient burial grounds. Could this symbolism be coming from the deceased? A lot of this symbolism is cosmic, like you pointed out. Could this symbolism be coming from somewhere elsewhere or the future? You know, I, I don't know where it's coming from, you know, but I feel like it's coming from, in many cases, an outside source, you know? And that's, to me, the, the true mystery is, you know, I, I've spent 10, 15 years on Detroit and I'm still mm. figuring things out and it's it's still happening. Like, I'm, I'm finding stuff as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Like, it's still happening. So I don't, honestly, I don't know if there'll ever be an answer if we'll figure out where it's totally coming from. But I think maybe 
just trying to figure out the mis being, being part of the mystery itself might be you know part of what this is about just recognizing that there are these places where this kind of communication can take place if it's a consciousness communication a communication in the future or past you know these places seem to have that attribute that there's something about them where there's a, a like a consciousness or communication portal, I would say. I, you know, the f it's fucking crazy. So I just I had to look it up, I had to pull up a map, um, just to see the correlation of the connections at least between um, Detroit, Chicago, and St. Louis. And what I'm yeah. noticing now is kind of like I have a good buddy, um, Gabe Slick Dissident on YouTube, um, yeah. and. He has this thing called territories where he lines up his map of the uh, Zodiac and the major arcana um, and it starts it on the Mason Dixon line. And I've never thought about it until now that you're pointing this out. I see a circle. I see a circle. I see Detroit followed by Chicago, followed by St. Louis, followed by Memphis, um, and then Atlanta, Charlotte. Um, where's the next one? Oh, Washington, D.C., and then Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and I, I, don't, I, I know that there's something with Cleveland. I don't know much about that, but that's kind of close to Detroit. Do you know anything about Cleveland, Ohio? Yeah, say, uh, I, I know some, it's right off Lake Erie and some of the Great Lakes Triangle uh, missing ship cases I've looked at have taken mm. place right outside of Cleveland. And it, Cleveland's also known as a UAP or UFO hotspot, so to speak, and there's so-called rumors of underwater bases in Lake Erie just outside of Cleveland. What are That's these like underwater the, bases? The rumors. What's that? I'm sorry. What are what are these underwater bases? Are these just? Well, they have. They're just rumors, but I mean, they're on the literally on the Cleveland news and everything. They have these lights over the water. They'll be like orangish red lights, and they see them quite often. So seeing all these lights above the water obviously leads to the rumor that could there be a base underwater. Now, up until a couple of years ago, I would have said that was crazy, but. <laughs> The Isle Royal we were talking about, we're going back up to Michigan just mm -hmm. real quick, mm -hmm. up in the UP. I discovered off of Isle Royal an underwater anomaly that is so strange that now I, even I have to, you know, possibly could something like an underwater base exist. And I'm going to have to say possibly. So is there a base out there? Not visibly, you know. But is there one up by Isle Royal? Possibly. Wow. If you check out my website or whatever, you can see clear, clear images of it. Clear images on Google Earth of this huge underwater anomaly. And I've spent 10 years trying to figure out what it is, interviewing oh, people. Shit. And, you know, I've, I've been up there several times talking to the scuba divers, ship captains. You know, every nobody's ever heard of this thing. I put it out there on the internet, you know, after 10 years, because I didn't want to put it out there prematurely and somebody just like, oh, that's this and this. So I, after 10 years, thinking I exhausted my sources, I put it on the internet and I had a hundred and some thousand people look at it. And so far, nobody knows what it is. <laughs> Nuts. What so, does this normally look like? 
okay. Well, if you go to my site, mm-hmm. I'll describe it. But if anyone else go to my site, it's called the Lake Superior Underwater Anomaly, and it is three and a half miles by two miles long, <laughs> and it's in 500 foot of water, and it kind of looks. It's like a circular, circular feature, kind of little indentation on one side. It's walls. It looks like it has walls. And you can go underwater on Google Earth and measure stuff. The really? walls are wow. exactly 200 feet tall around this entire feature. So super uniform. The thickness of the walls is the same around the entire feature. And there appears to be a gateway leading on the northern side of this feature. Oh, shit. I mean, it sounds crazy, but you can look at images as clear as day. And the way I found this was researching Isle Royal and the Copper Mystery, you know, and I was actually using Google Earth to zoom in on it. And when you zoom in on Isle Royal of the northern shore, it's unmistakable. It's this underwater anomaly. So one of my, I put an article out, one of my possibilities, this is my last possibility, <laughs> but one of my possibilities was underwater UFO base or underwater government base. Because there's both been UFO sightings directly over this, and there's been a submarine sighting directly next to this. So could be either, could be both, could be the same. Could be neither. Could, could, it could, could be a you know my some of my possibilities I started with could it be a common impact, you know, but it's super uniform, like it's almost too uniform. But is, could it be a common dendritic, impact? Uh, dendritic scarring around there. Well, that's the thing. The, the Great Lakes were made by being gouged out by the glaciers. So oh. if that's the case, if this is within 10,000 years, this too should have been gouged away. Mm. And, you know, if not, we should have a record within the last 10,000 years or legend, something of either a giant, it'd have to be a giant asteroid or a giant volcano, you know, or the other possibility was a giant ancient mound site that was once above water, because this was above water at one point in time. And one of my final possibilities was a possible Atlantean ancient mining operation, like you were speaking of the Atlanteans. Well, and the Plato talked about the Atlanteans using a metal called orichalcum to build a lot of their city. And orichalcum was part copper and part, I think it was part brass. And this could have passed, could this have been part of their, you know, ancient copper mining. So I don't, I, I, like I say, I don't know, but it's there. <laughs> it's there and I've been trying to figure, one of those things that's been on my mind for a decade now and I'm, I put it out there hoping somebody would have the answer for me and I'm still waiting, man. Still waiting. You know, we, uh, we had uh, another guest on not too long ago. Karen Mutton, who researches submerged cities and under underwater realms. And, you know, we've come to the conclusion that like, there's some, some things that are so intrinsically detailed and they're underground structures that, uh, you know, here on RFTA, we're fully in on board with cavernous earth and that there, there's definitely caverns, you know? And so it's like, I don't know what's north of these lakes, but you know, there could very well be entrances up north. Um, and it's, it's deep mystery, brother, deep mystery. And 
I, I can't even imagine racking my brain on this stuff for over a decade, dude. Well, it's one of those things because I've seen a couple of years ago, there was this underwater base thing off uh, the coast of Malibu that was kind of almost like a fad or whatever. Mm. And I did come on the heels. And like I found this underwater water base, you know, part of this fad thing. And I wanted to make sure it was legit, man. You know, I didn't want to yeah. be a guy to put all this time writing these articles and putting out videos and one guy just says nope it's this you should have looked here you know yeah yeah <laughs> I exhausted my resources. At all every library up around there you know i exhausted my resources and i'm st- i thought i would know what it was by now honestly i still don't exactly know yeah man you know if anybody hears this take a look and get any ideas throw it out there Mm-hmm. that's right yo 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 you know i'm not sure if you're on telegram chad but uh we have a great community yet, on telegram good good yeah okay. but that, that'd be great man you can share all your work there um you know we have a, a growing community almost 100 people that are just actively you know adding to this and it's growing more every day um but i wanted to kind of uh talk about your new article a little bit more because you have this really um, really cool serped in there. This this section called "Chief Sleeping Bear and the Keeper of the Gates." It's such a cool yeah. name, and uh, there's there's some in- indigenous information in there. So, do you mind talking about that? Well, for sure. Well, kind of the whole basis of this gateway symbolism that I'm kind of looking at is I call it the resurfacing of the gates. I call it the resurfacing because a lot of the ancient legends and lore around this area consisted of gateways. So this Chief Sleeping Bear legend, this was an Ottawa legend, and Chief Sleeping Bear was a demigod, and he had this beautiful daughter that he would keep tied in a canoe off of the shores of Belle Isle, which is a sacred island right here in the Detroit River, and it's right on the border of Canada. And Chief Sleeping Bear would supposedly keep his daughter so beautiful, he didn't want anyone to see her. Canoe tied up with a blanket over top of the canoe so no one could see her. But one day, legend goes, the west wind blew off the blanket and the keeper of the gates, as they call it, seen her and tried to abuse her. And Chief Sleeping Bear was killed the keeper of the gates. Oh, and buried the, quote, keeper of the gates, or the water gatekeeper was his other name, on the neighboring Peach Isle. So legend goes, he took his daughter, He, the keeper of the gates killed his daughter, buried his daughter's remain, or the spirit of his daughter on Belle Isle, surrounded Belle Isle with snakes, and she was known as the snake goddess. So Belle Isle was known as the realm of the snake goddess. Wow. Sometimes she would be supposedly seen as a female white doe or deer. And Peach Isle was the realm of the gatekeeper. And the Native Americans would go to Peach Isle to meditate and fast and try to get information from the keeper of the gates before they were going to war. So like in the Indian Wars, Chief Pontiac, he went to Peach Isle. He meditated and stayed on the island. I think it was a week just to converse with the so-called keeper of the gate spirit. So they thought this was a little literal portal or gate here where they could converse. Like I, like I talk about, maybe a consciousness gateway where mm. information comes and goes. You know, 
And back on Belle Isle, the snake goddess, she was supposedly immortalized as a white female deer. And like I talked about the symbolism reemerging, when I was living in Detroit, I used to go to Belle Isle about once a week. Well, they happened when I was going there to open up, they were doing some renovations and they opened up a new zoo on the end of the island. And the, their first thing of animals they got was they got this herd of white deer. Huh. And I don't know if they knew, know the legend or it was a, just a total synchronicity or coincidence, but so it's pretty much the same time I was learning this legend. I happened to be out I happened to be out in the woods smoking a joint and through the fence, I see a white deer. I was like, holy no. shit. So that's one of those examples of this ancient legend and the symbolism sometimes resurfacing and not always intentionally. Maybe it was. There's always that chance the zookeeper there knew the legend, but, you know, there's always a chance that it was just meant to be and that symbolism, you know, reemerges. Wow, that's so nuts. Does a white deer of, all white hair or is it just a white tail? No, all white albino deer. Well, yeah, I've never seen that's, that. That's absolutely crazy. beautiful. Yep, and not just there's a whole family, there's there like six or seven of them, but there are one in particular. You know, you could tell she was a female, full grown. I got pictures of her, she's just beautiful. Wow, so you know, in some weird, strange way. You know, that symbolism literally trying to resurface, you know, and that's kind of one of my conclusions after all these years is all this Native American gateway symbolism. Mm. Say we talked about the Great Mound. They thought that was a gateway to the afterlife. That was stamped out. Chief Sleeping Bear and the Water Gatekeeper, they thought this was a gateway, like a consciousness portal. This got stamped out. But now after all these years, it seems like it's still trying to come back in forms of art and architecture. And so is some of it intentionally? Maybe, but I think some of it is like just destined to be on these pieces of real estate. I think that energy is just destined to be on some of these spots on the banks of the Detroit River in Belle Isle. You know, these, uh, well, you know, the, like when you get into deep Freemasonry and, and, and these secret societies, a lot of these legends are very well known about. And, you know, it's part of the secret teachings to keep a lot of these legends secret and to keep them very personally kept and, you know, and locked away only to the initiated to understand. And when we talk, when you talk about the, the snakes and the goddess of the snake, you know, it can't help to think about what is the sign um, zodiacally that comes after Scorpio is Ophiuchus, which is a serpent bearer, um, or also a lot of times a gatekeeper, right? There's symbolism yeah, with right. Ophiuchus yeah. being like the healer, yeah. the serpent bearer, gatekeeper. So I'm wondering if there's some zodiac uh, connections there. And, you know, snake symbolism and the Ouroboro symbolism of it, you know, the snake eating its tail, kind of like looking like a, a stargate or a portal or a complete circle, you know, time eating itself. I mean, I don't know, like it just seems to all intertwine together and it's just mind blowing. It does. And this small synchronicity, I just thought of this as you were saying this, the serpent, the snake. And if you follow Detroit River for a few more miles as it serpents down to mm. just before Cleveland, there's a place called Cedar Point. 
That's a giant amusement park. Kind of irrelevant, but you follow the serpent to Cedar Point. They just put in a new roller coaster, and it's called the Gatekeeper. Oh my God. <laughs> you like, I, I, I don't know how that has any correlation, connection, but it just happens consistently all the time. Now you can't tell me that the guy who built the gatekeeper at Cedar Point knew about Chief sleeping there. I doubt it. I, I mean, fuck, I'm starting to believe that they did, though. Like, at least maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like the white know. deers? Like the white deers? That's a... First of all, it's rare. I mean, oh, like super rare. my stepdad used to raise deer and elk for a living. It's very rare. And for Belle Isle, a state park to go out and I can't trust me. I know Detroit and I can't see them spending more money to get the white deer rather than a regular family of deer. So it had to be somehow they got it for the same price. There may be white deer cheaper, which I can't see that being. Mm. But I know Detroit. They didn't go out and like, OK, let's find the most expensive deer we can find. I didn't, you know, I doubt that's what happened. It sounds like but, more like syncretism where it's like yeah, taking this old folkloric legend, I mean. you know what I mean? And like yeah. kind of, but keeping it for the initiated. So I had a conversation with my first architect ever, right? Which is a big deal for me um, because we love architecture around here, right? As do you. And his name is, um, is oh, I'm uh, I can't remember his last name, but it's Alexander, and it's it's only on our Patreon. But I'll gladly send you over the um, the the MP3 so you can listen to it. Yeah. Um, he wrote this paper called "The Ritual Temples of Los Angeles," and there's a shit ton of you know Egyptian symbolism and Babylonian symbolism in downtown LA. And you know he kind of brought to my attention as he is an architect, and he just started a archaeological dig company down in mexico city where he lives and so he's an archaeologist and an architect and you know he's like he kind of brought this thing to my attention because you know i kind of fall into the uh uh the uh, conspiracy mindset very often right because there's just so much mystery going on that i'm like it's what the fuck man you know so it's just, i have to bring myself back to reality and he he mentioned he's like their their symbolism is there they're not hiding it what's yeah. hidden is the you know the upright information about it so how interested are you in you know and in delving into that and can you initiate yourself are we being constantly initiated or are we being the opposite are we being uh pushed away from initiation and you know, I I don't know. What do you, what do you feel about uh, on on that level? It could be a little of both. This depends kind of where you're at. Like like you said, I've seen Hart Plaza. I'll use that as an example. I've seen the Detroit Red Wings win a Stanley Cup, and a million people flood into this plaza. And I bet you, out of that million people, at that point in time, I bet you 15 of them might have known what was going on. You know. So people can go to these places, see these monuments, climb on them, walk on them, you know, and have no clue or have no care whatsoever. But then you can take one of those same people, give yourself a half hour and explain to them some of the symbolism, a little bit of the history, let them walk around and they'll see that same exact piece of real estate in a whole new light, an entire new light. So it depends if their eyes are open to seeing it, basically. If they're aware enough, 
And if they're willing enough, or if they want to see it, if they want to be blind to it, their consciousness wants them to be blind to it, they'll walk right past it every time. And you could even try to explain it to them, and they won't get it. But on the other hand, there's people who you could just give them a couple of little clues and they'll pick it up instantly and run with it. And that will change them. And they'll, then they'll go on and do the same thing with another place. And that's the key is that, that domino effect. Because once you see it somewhere, you realize it's everywhere. And it becomes, you be, once you become part of that game, it's on. Like, that's the draw. Once you become part of the story, you know, it's the, it's the next level. And I think that's a lot of what a lot of this is. I think we're going to be coming up with questions for years to come. We might not ever get no answers. We might think we have some answers, but I think it's about coming up with the questions and showing the strangeness, recognizing the questions, recognizing what's going on, and just kind of flowing with it and working on it. And I think that work and that journey, I think that's more what we're after than the answer. I hope so because I've been at this a while and I'm no close. I don't feel like I'm much closer to any answers. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like working out, you know, like you yeah, go to the gym. Exactly. You want to get buffer. You yeah, want, you know, yeah. you kind of care about what you look like here in like five or six years, but it's really about the journey, um, and that's your initiation. Yeah. You know, we are initiating ourselves to a lot of that extent. And what's great about that's it. All the hard work you've been putting into this is you're kind of like. Like I said earlier, you know, your episode on the higher side chats is the reason I, I even found out about this, reached out to you, you know, and this, it just, you're part of people's awakening and, and you know, it's a subconscious, like, I'm sure you know how many people you've reached over the years, uh, but man, it's just like, you know, the, you do it because you care about knowing and knowledge and gnosis and the journey and that it's so fruitfully um has a path behind you that's like the rainbow bridge if, if you will right like this colorful rainbow bridge of of understanding and and i'm grateful for it dude uh and honestly i, I really hope to make it out to detroit this august uh like I'm, I'm gonna probably look at some fucking tickets soon, and hopefully we can link up and go check out. I'll this meet you shit, down man. there, man. Say I'm up north, but I'll meet you down there. I'd love to hang out for a weekend or something, dude. And kick you down there. Oh, dude, I'm so down. I wish we would have done this sooner so we could have got you here for Memorial Weekend. Oh. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's all in divine timing. All in divine timing. <laughs> It is, but yeah, not, I don't know how many. There's not too many electronic music festivals at Star Forts that, that, that I'm aware of. Right, know? right. Um, well, let's talk about let's talk about more about um, Detroit in this area. Um, I, I'm wondering about the cathedrals in the town. Are there any uh, historic basilicas or anything like that? Yeah, there's there's a. Uh... I'd say there's like four or five of them actually. The very first, or no, second building in town was a basilica. And I'm trying to think of Holy Saint. Off the top of my head, I forgot the name of it. But yeah, there's some beautiful basilicas in town. 100%. One of them, name escapes me, but has the, the largest organ in the world. What? Uh, yeah, I know that's a thing. It has the largest organ in the world. I forgot how many millions of dollars they paid to have this thing made. But if you look up Detroit Basilica, largest organ or whatever, you'll be able to find it. But 
Yeah, they have some beautiful churches. Absolutely. There's one in uh, Birmingham, Michigan called Cranbrook that has a beautiful church. Wow, that's that's nuts. I'm looking at it right now. It's yeah, that's kind of crazy. And the fact that it's the largest organ or basilica in the world is it's not the largest basilica, it's the largest organ. Organ, organ, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's super significant. It is very significant because yeah. the resonance plays into the magnetic anomalies that are found around and oh, um i'm not sure do, do most of these places have bell towers a lot of them do and speak yes yeah, speaking of that talking about Belle isle where we were just talking yeah. about the snake goddess they built the carolyn tower on Belle isle so that puts off used to put off a frequency and want to see it was every so many hours and so that was a huge bell tower they built in the 1920s. And that, that's beautiful. It's built in a Gothic style, has a, a moat going around it. What? Yeah. What's the name of it again? Uh, the, the, uh, it's called a Carolyn Tower. I'm trying to remember the lady's name. It was built for a Detroit Free Press uh, editor. Uh, I can't remember her name. Oh, wow, well, that's cool looking. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I just out there a couple of weeks ago. Look, they're renovating it as we speak. They're building a whole bunch of gardens around it. Whoa. Yeah, so um, these old cathedrals in the bell towers, well, the bells have all been taken out of the bell towers all across the world. Right? There was a huge hijacking of that, um, especially in the, in the World War era, that, that time period, you know. Um, there's, there's a lot, it's esoteric and I don't want to go into it too much because I, I will butcher it because I'm in the middle of researching a lot of the bell towers, but the resonance was, so every, everything was, is as, as we know, is built for a specific reason. It has geographical, uh, significance and the bell towers all striking at the same time being built very like the metallurgist um because you know we talk a lot about masonry right we talk a lot about the freemasons and the stone very important but a lot of times things that get left out is miners and metallurgists and they are alchemists brother you know what i'm saying so everything is down to the specific science and metal working is I think there's even more. The reason you don't hear about it as much is because it's more occult and esoteric than yeah, the, the sure. Freemasons. Yeah, yeah. So the, you're saying the miners. Have, one thing Detroit has too that I don't know what significance it has, but are the, the largest, some of the largest salt mines in the world. Oh, so whoa. Yeah, underground, all of this we're talking about, we have, I think it's 40 miles of underground salt tunnels just gigantic what yeah and spiritually like if you look up the symbolism of salt it's supposed to basically bind spiritual locations into place yes so that would kind of make sense why all this symbolism doesn't want to leave it wants just to re-emerge all the time that you know, opens but, the floodgates dude no i'm telling you bro like that is huge because salt plays a salt is life in the sense of like electricity because yeah. you have to have yeah. the salt water right you have to have salt yeah. and that also means that it was a huge fucking ocean deposit at one point oh gigantic yeah that's crazy yeah. 40 miles of salt tunnels 
want to say I want to say forty. I, I want to say forty miles, if I'm not mistaken. It's huge, and we're not we're not talking tunnels that you can just barely fit through. We're talking like giant tunnels that track. Oh my you know, god! Suffered. Can we? Yeah, get I'm trying to actually used to be able to take tours of them. I'm trying to get a tour of one. If I'm not, I know they're still operating as we speak. A new company bought them and reopened them. They're they're operating again. Uh, yeah, that's that's on my list right now. Is I'm trying to get a tour of the salt mines, and I, they have tours of the the Fort Wayne Star Fort, but the tours have been on halt since COVID. Nah. So I'm, I'm waiting, waiting to get in on a tour for that. But if not, I'm just going to the festival. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm concocting a plan in my head for this Detroit travels. Um, it's 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 gonna happen, uh, especially now that I know there's huge salt mines. I'm addicted to salt, like I fucking love salt. Uh, oh well, geez, man, we gotta get you on the salt mine tour. Yes, <laughs> yes, dude, I'm so down. Well, what's what else is interesting too is I'm I'm doing some uh, some research for um, a little deoculting demystification that were me and Juan and Gabe and Paranoid American are gonna do about Florida. Um, because I, I did recently went to Florida for a family vacation, um, for the first time, mind blown. I went to my first star fort, uh, which I think is the first star fort ever built in the States, uh, back in 1465 or something in St. Augustine. Um, yeah. Right. St. Augustine dude blew my mind, blew my fucking mind. And so I started looking into this guy named Henry Flagler. And um, he was born in uh, uh, Hopewell, New York, um, and was really poor, but went over to work for his family right outside of Detroit and the Ohio area and started a salt company uh, right in the right in the time of like, uh, I think it was like right before the Great Depression or something. And Henry Flagler is the founding father next to john d rockefeller of the standard oil okay he's the guy that john d rockefeller went to to ask for a loan of money okay wow is henry flagler and so he had this failing salt mine company which i think is like really a, a a wink wink nudge nudge at something else deeper to that surrounding area you know that the fact that he went from new york to uh ohio here and i'm sure he was delving into you know i mean you got henry ford right who is fucking starting to build his manufacturing uh uh facilities up in detroit who's obviously fucking buddies with john d and henry flagler and the standard oil and it's it all connects it all connects to these fucking occultists these rich fucks oh for sure for sure Say we didn't say as far as occult origins in Detroit, we can go back all the way for sure to 1805 when they laid out the streets. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Thomas Jefferson, Freemason, sent his buddy Augustus Woodward. This was Thomas Jefferson's disciple. I wanted to say really quick, I noticed I was watching one of your videos and uh, you you posted a picture of Augustus Woodward. This guy's <laughs> fucking nose. It's huge, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, this guy was a character. This guy, 
that he was known as the esoteric researcher before there was before there was a such thing as an esoteric what? researcher. Yeah, like this guy was out there. He wrote a book called The Substance of the Sun in 1805, talking about the sun's a giant electron. And that was in 1805. But he's also he's also the originator of the mo modern collegiate system. He started the first college, University of Michigan. Yeah, super occult. That's nuts. I wow. Right, right. So so you got that. He's Thomas Jefferson's disciple. And the third thing is Detroit had just burnt down, 1805. Was it a great fire? Oh, it was a great fire. Oh. And, and the motto of Detroit, this is for you, man. The motto of Detroit, this is on all of our flags, as we shall rise again from the ashes. <laughs> and this, that's our motto because of the great 1805 fire. So following the great fire, Detroit burnt down. Thomas Jefferson sent disciple Augustus Woodward to Detroit to redesign Detroit. And he designed the street layouts. Well, at first it was what he called the hub and spoke pattern. And that was too much for the public. So it ended up being what looked like a giant pentagram. And it was unmistakably a pentagram. He was actually friends with Pierre Lafont in Washington, DC. Him and Lafont were buddies. He actually copied down some of his, his designs from Washington, DC in his personal notebook. So when he came here, he laid out the streets, a pentagram, and it has a Freemasonic scale also incorporated within that pentagram. So from its inception, literally the streets of Detroit were laid out, you know, with the star intentionally. That's, uh, that's fucking crazy. I, I was going to ask about, um, if there was any Thelemite connections to, um, cause you said you, you were looking into Crowley and stuff and that was gonna, so does that segue, does he, does he do some trip visits over to Detroit? He does. He loves Detroit. Oh, he does, does he? He loves Detroit for a sure while. For a while, till he gets ran out of town. So uh -oh. in 1920, he comes to Detroit. He's got a, a friend who's member of the Freemasons in Detroit. And Crowley has this idea. He wants to build a grand lodge here in Detroit, incorporating all the sects of the Masons. Not just, so he wanted to incorporate the OTO, everybody the Scottish Rite, all into one giant building. But the idea was his OTO was gonna be the top top tier, making him the leader, so to speak, of all the Freemasons here in Detroit <laughs> and around the world for that matter. Uh -huh. So he came to Detroit actually thinking he was gonna get this done, you know? And he spent, I think it was two years here. He, he, he wrote his Blue Equinox when he was here. He opened up a bookstore. He was uh, dealing with Park Davis, getting large amounts of mescaline for all the sect rituals they were having here in Detroit. And that was his downfalls. All these newspaper articles about these mescaline-filled sect rituals kind of got out in public. And eventually, the Masons didn't want that as their face, so to speak. Yeah. And he got ran out of town. But one thing I do point out is when he was in here in Detroit, one of his missions his quoted missions was he wanted to bring in the new Aeon of Horus here to Detroit. And we haven't talked about it yet, but when we get into Heart Plaza and some of the symbolism, one of the main 
features is a fountain in the Heart of Heart Plaza, and it's called the Horus and Sun Fountain. And it sits right in the center of all the symbolism we're talking about. And that could be coincidence, because this fountain is actually dedicated to Horace Dodge, the Dodge automobile pioneer. But the fact is, Alistair Crowley came to town and wanted to start the new Anna Horace, and they had all kinds of rituals, we know that. All kinds of masculine sexual rituals for sure. So, but according to the newspapers, that's kind of where you gotta find a lot of this information. According to the newspapers, Crowley was unsuccessful and just, you know, left town. And I always point out, was he unsuccessful? Or, you know, over the years, did some of this new Anna Horace symbolism try to also work its way into the symbolism, you know? And if that's the case, you know, you, you got to think, okay, so now you got Aleister Crowley's intention somehow manifesting through Osama Noguchi's architecture. So it's getting crazy, <laughs> you know? So I, was, I, I don't know, but, you know, those little, those little facts are there and little, little tidbits add up. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, as an as an artist, um, you know, Noguchi, there's there's really no way he hadn't have heard of Crowley. And there's really there's it's just not existent. You know, if you're into esoterica, uh, you know, the spiritualistic rise in the late 19th century, you you know about Crowley. And if you did a sojourn in Egypt and you're interested in the magic, then you know about it. And the fact that he's also, I didn't mention this, he's a, Noguchi was also Buckmaster Fuller's disciple. Oh. So he, def, he definitely knew about these things. Oh, Buckyballs taught him the way. Oh, Buckyballs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is nuts. Uh, but So Horace Dodge, uh, I don't know anything about him. Is that where Dodge, cars come from that's where dodge automobiles come from and it started off with it was called the dodge brothers this was the same time as henry ford they were having these car wars and that's where dodge came from with these two guys uh can't think of his name off the top of my head the two dodge brothers mm -hmm. and so they're obviously big in detroit so this fountain it's actually the fountain that would be corresponding to the middle Belt Star or the Giza Pyramid, if we do the correlation, yeah, that fountain is called the Horus and Sun Fountain, and it's dedicated to him and his son, and Horus is Dodge's son, no. also Horus Junior. And I don't believe it. In <laughs> mythology, sometimes there's a Horus the Elder and a Horus the Son. Mm -hmm. and in this case, the fountain is to Horus the Father and Horus Junior. Oh so, man, that is so wild! Is it synchronistic? Is it intentional? Is it meant to be? Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. I just know it's there. You know, <sighs> if you follow Horace Dodge, like I went to Horace Dodge's uh, resting place. I went to a cemetery for some some reason. One day I was stoned. I was like, I'm gonna trek. You know, follow follow yes. this clue. Yes. So I found an eight mile in Woodward. It was a Woodlawn Cemetery where Horace and his brother are buried. So I went there, and there's this beautiful egyptian mausoleum these mm. two beautiful sphinx guarding the mausoleum surrounded by obelisks <laughs> if you creep up there you can look look through peek through the door and there's a giant stained glass window in the back of it with the egyptian pyramids on it so were they interested in was horse dodge interested in the egyptian symbolism like i, I 
it's hard to figure out how this all comes full circle. But is his name Horace from birth? Yes. Really? But it's spelled different. H O R A C E. Is a pretty common name back in the 1800s. Okay. Okay. That's good yeah, to know. That's good to know. Different. Yeah. yeah. All different sound the same. Mm. A lot of similarities, but you know, did somehow take on the archetype or? That's kind of, well, you know, this weird, interesting anomaly too, where you have these name archetypes where it's like a lot of these people with these names, like we were talking about Ken earlier, and yeah. there was the Scorpio connection between these yeah. two Kens, and it's like, they didn't plan that, you know, Ken didn't come onto the planet, you know, well, also maybe, maybe they did, because there's this kind of belief or the thought pattern that like we choose when and where we're born, we choose, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and so if Horus was a popular name back then and it was the rise of, you know, Egyptian revival, um, Babylonian revival, you know, maybe all of this Horus energy was coming through. So it could be, you know, like that's, there's, there's so much mystery, he was, brother. He was, he was born, get this, he was born in Niles, Michigan. Like the, <laughs> like the Nile River, Niles, Michigan. What? Yeah, that's where he was born. <laughs> like, they expect us. They expect us just to take all this Egyptian mythology <laughs> and like these Egyptian names and symbolism and say I that mean, it wasn't here. Parents couldn't have moved him to Niles, Michigan, thinking we're gonna name him Horus. I mean, I mean, I don't know. But yeah, just a quick, goofy story. Like when I first discovered this as mausoleum, like you, I was like, dude, this is absolutely crazy. This is crazy. And I was pulling out, like pulling out of the cemetery, thinking to myself, I can't be on the right track. This is too much. This is too nuts. You know, I literally said out loud in my car, Horace, dude, I'm smoking a joint. Horace, man, <laughs> give me a sign. My car starts to putter. Was it like another no. hundred yards? My car starts to stutter. I'm in a pretty rough part of town. I'm like, oh, well, there's a gas station across the road. Sweet. So I stuttered across the road, pulled to the closest <laughs> gas pump, get out and pump gas, right? I happened to look down at my, just happened to look down at the ground and I, right next to my foot, there's an AD. And I'm like, there's an eight, they literally carved into the concrete, like when huh. it was wet years ago, there's an AD. And I lift up my foot and under my foot's a CH. What? It literally said my name right there, carved into the concrete. Literally said, I just asked for a sign. And now I'm at the gas station. And I look down and literally this says my name, like carved into concrete. Was, so I was like, all right, that's it. That's the sign, you know? What? So point, I had, from that point on, I had no trouble talking about, because I felt weird about talking about going to a mausoleum. At this point, I love to talk about going to the mausoleum, but I felt like I'm on the right track or something, you know? Or something. Tell us more about but, the mausoleum. The mausoleum, like that's what I was talking about, where the sphinx, you know, the sphinx are out front guarding it. Oh yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's where they're buried at. That's where oh, that's so crazy. Yeah. It's it's nuts. And also, you know, I was thinking about as you were saying that. So, Horace Dodge and his son and brother and all that, they're connected to these cars, and mm -hmm. there's obviously something about the invention of the automobile that was brought to um, the collective consciousness. Like there was something understood 
about the alchemical processes of building the car and mechanics itself because mechanics is a is a, is a form of you know alchemy and in, in the sense of like you know mm-hmm. even just oil even even making oil like you know and then turning the oil into gas like it's all alchemical and uh you know when we when we study alchemy we we find that intention is a large part of the proverbial fire that they speak of and everything and that's what you're creating is combustion you're creating a fire a chamber and you're riding a chariot and chariots are symbolism is fucking huge man and so when you asked for some guidance from someone who's basically like famous for creating a chariot you're in their domain and you're to a gas station as you said, I didn't even think about it. You just said that, but I was literally at an oil station. That's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. You just was at a gas station for God. Oh, shit. And you know what? I was, I was driving a Jeep, so it's kind of a Dodge in a way. Yeah. yeah it was you know? a bought by Chrysler. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, exactly. Dude, it's nuts. Dude, it's nuts. It's all there. And so, yeah, you're on the right fucking path. You don't ever, you know, well, you're, you can question anything you want you're obviously your own man but you are doing something huge and just by being the humble gracious guy that you are you you. you have information coming to you and it will you're, you're gonna be a fucking leader in this in these types of movements when people wake the fuck up and start really looking at where everything comes from you know it's it's really crazy it's, it's and i think they are too think you think so like you dude i've been doing this a long time yeah more people looking into cities than I've ever seen before, 100%. Okay. For, for years, I could tell you there was four or five of us in particular, and that, that was about it. And some people got what we were talking about, but not totally. You know, now I see people going out and looking for themselves, and that's that's the difference. That's what me and the other guys that are doing this, that was always our goal, was to get other people to go out and see what's in their own backyard, so to speak. And I see that happening now, and dude, I can't be more thrilled, because that that's part of it. There's no, what I've come to realize, and I've looked at a lot of different cities, but you gotta focus and dig down on one. Like Detroit, yeah. it's been decades, and I'm still coming up with stuff. You can't look at something for a week or two and think you got to figure it out and move on because in these instances, that's not the case. You know, so what would be awesome is to have people in their own states or their own cities, if everybody could dig into their own area and really dig in, then at some point bring that together, that's going to be the best way. Like I said, it's hard to come up with answers, but if we really do want some answers, that's going to be the only way we get it is if we get everybody focusing hard on one area and then somehow we can correlate that together and see what kind of synchronicities and coincidences we really got going on everywhere yeah yeah it's i mean that i think can happen um if you uh i'm not sure if you can like put like a forum or something on your website where people could join up be members yeah i'm not yeah i'm not sure i've been thinking about it for a while i don't know if we need a like a website where everybody has their own state. Like, I'm not sure exactly how to do it yet, but that that's what we need. I don't know if it's a video platform, but if, if there was some place where everybody could put 
put their research and then other people would go and you know browse through all different cities or all, yeah. you know, all different areas it'd be incredible wow right now you gotta really search it out you know yeah well, i want to go to this podcast here michael one i want to go over here and try and find ross bed you know and Corey daniels i gotta go over here we just need everybody in one spot you know mm-hmm. and even if we're not decoding stuff the same at least people can go through it and get an idea and you know try to figure it out for themselves even you know that would be fucking epic yeah um i'm down <laughs> i'm down I, I'll, I'll throw some i'll throw some cash at that to get that website going yeah, on you know not sure the exact logistics but I, like i see that being the next step you know but right now i'm, I'm pumped with seeing so many guys out there interested in looking at stuff you know because that's the first step that's yep. the first step. yep and yeah the whole tartaria mud flood kind of thing is is really getting a lot of people's attention and and so you know yeah you got to start you got to start somewhere um and in, into this shit so um i had another question um because i was looking into henry flagler um he was talking earlier and he was famous for basically building florida he like built, went down there and built all of these magnificent hotels and his first hotel with and they're all haunted by the way like <laughs> if you ever go to st augustine florida it's a very haunted town they got ghost tours everywhere and i um i i don't want to well actually by the time this comes out uh i think the the florida episode will be out because it's on Wands feed so i'm gonna tell you this fucking story dude this is nuts right. so uh <clears throat> rotundas in these buildings right capital buildings uh cathedrals yeah. have rotundas it's very, very very prominent in this old architecture right and yeah. in european belief what they would do is they would a lot of times have funerals in rotundas because it's a That's circle true. shape and the circle yeah. shape that even goes through indigenous uh, belief systems as well and yeah. he has this uh hotel called the Ponce de leon which is now a university and um you know i'm walking around this this college which is an old hotel but everywhere i go it's it's blocked off security like you cannot walk around i've been to the universities man like you can basically explore a university without anybody stopping you right this place is heavily guarded it's because okay. it's haunted so hard i interviewed probably 15 different college students and everybody had a ghost story everybody wow everybody henry flagler was just some next level dude and i'm just finding out more and more and uh he basically he you know he also uh funded the railway uh the railroads down in florida so that's how he was able to get people to go to these hotels that he was building anyways the point i'm getting after he died he died in palm spring or palm beach uh west palm beach or whatever down down south south of miami which is also significant in the sense of like miami was also like uh spelt with like a a y at one point like miami and it's like maya um it's a homage to the mayans with who maya is the mother of hermes and all this stuff and he was anyway so he he died down there and he wanted his body to be brought back to the rotunda of the Ponce de Leon up in St. Augustine and put in the rotunda there. And the rotunda's got all this beautiful paintings and symbolism with like astrological symbolism and etherical symbolism. They have a they have a little sign that says, 
you know, like dedication to the elements and everything. So he wanted his body brought back there, and but someone had closed some of the doors. And the belief is when your body is in there, you know, you want to have all the doors and the windows open so your spirit can fully fly. And uh, someone had closed, the gardener had closed the doors. At this moment, all of the lights went off and his casket flipped upside down. <laughs> the body spilled out onto the ground and there's a tile a tile this big with a man's face in it that appeared wow. supposedly after that and i got i got one word for you yeah portal yo i've i've i spent a couple a year researching the dome back in the day my final conclusion was they were con consciousness portals with portals of sorts really and, yeah and they always think of the capitol dome when somebody dies they always put somebody under under the dome. Yes. They have everybody walk in circles around them. And and these domes are many times built on pieces of the sacred landscape. And oh. I'm, just going, I'm going off the National Dome mm -hmm. on the top of my head with the apotheosis of George Washington, where he was risen as a God man who transcended. He went to the next level and he sits on a rainbow bridge. But that was, I studied all these domes across the country and nine out of 10 of them have celestial scenes with goddesses and below them they'll have the same 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 thing i think they thought these were portals and now how this could connect i'm not sure how this connects but when you see a lot of these ancient state capitals being built pictures of them you'll see the bottom's already built and you'll see the building of the dome well i think that dome like I, it's hard to prove when the bottom was built, but we yeah. can prove when the domes were built. Yeah. And we know they had to have a dome on every one of them. Mm -hmm. We know they fill every one of those domes with either stars, gods, and goddesses almost every time. There's celestial scenes to the afterlife. And then they put dead people below them, like, and like they're going to go to the afterlife. So that, that was my conclusion after quite a study. That I think those domes, or I don't know if they are, but I think somebody thought those domes are portals. You're right on fucking point, dude. You are right on point, and there's no way that they didn't think that. And the fact that they would hold these ceremonial rituals there um, after the passing. Yeah, they don't got to be, I ain't talking, you know, literal portals. I'm talking about, you know, maybe spirit, consciousness, wisdom, information, you know, stuff we can't see. Not necessarily physical like i don't think they put john mccain below the patios of washington and he disappears out of his casket but i think that somebody thinks maybe his spirit goes through a portal mm -hmm. you know i mean look at it dude look at the domes you got um you know it's obviously rotundal it, it's cylindrical but then you have a lot of times they're gold they're honestly fucking yeah. golden top domes with a spire on top of it going straight exactly. out exactly that's exactly. it's a fucking portal dude like i yeah. you're free and, here and to speculate a, you know yeah, exactly that's it like that was my conclusion you know and I, I took quite a bit of time like i went to the i went to the mission you know the michigan capital and dug around big time you know stood under it laid on the ground under it looking up at it you know i spent time under these domes and they're, they're special places like if you agree with what the buildings represent or not when you stand under these domes, they're it's like being in a cathedral or something. It's a special mm -hmm. place, and you get to 
you get the echoes, you get this, the different sounds you would never notice unless you stood there. Yeah. It's a special place when you stand in the middle of one of these domes. Absolutely. Dude, it's so fucking cool. I've been to these buildings and ne they're never open when I go. I've never been allowed inside <laughs> of them because they want to torture me. Like I got, uh, when I was on my way down to Florida, our, our flight got delayed or canceled and I was uh, stuck in Denver, Colorado. And I've never been to Colorado, uh, but it's a mile high city and I go <laughs> to their, their capital and it's huge, dude. And, uh, and, and alone from the spire on top of the dome, a lot of times there's a ball another yeah. orb ball where it's like a lot of a lot of belief that there was some like mercurial waters in there um which resonates with spirit and everything and we know that our ancients fucking had deep deep understanding of mercury and yeah. man it's just so fascinating that's one of the next things that i'm working on with the resonance architecture stuff that um awesome. you know that like that right there is so helpful to hear people like you uh, who have done some deep research? Because I trust your research, man. You, you, you got a very you. good fucking eye and, and nose and understanding of, of snuffing out the good stuff. Of course, dude. Of course. Um, and so, yeah, that just reassures that those those because, dude, the the Capitol buildings are in every fucking state. No, oh, they're in every state. And if you, what I like, what I always do is I look at the real estate. Like, why are they on that piece of real estate? And a lot of them, most of them, it's the same situation. There was something special. Usually that real estate was a Native American, either a burial ground, a mound site, or it was already considered special and they built over top of it. Or at least we think they built it on top of it. But like I always point out, either way, the buildings themselves, if they were, if we found them or we built them, either way, the design of the building is for a resident architecture, like you point out. So I, I don't think it's as important if you know we're talking Tartaria, if we discovered the buildings and then built the dome, or if we or if there was somebody who realized how important this architecture was, so they found an ancient piece of the site that had a certain energy, mm. built this kind of resonating architecture on top of it, because they knew that would be a catalyst to increasing the energy. Either way, we got the same end product of these buildings with these portal domes, you know, laid out for, for this resident architecture. And the unfortunate part is most most of us don't go to these places, so they're only being utilized mm -hmm. by those who shouldn't be utilizing them. So I like I always say go and I don't like to take the tour personally, but I like to go there and just walk around and hang out. You know, you'll get a lot of yeah. awkward looks. Security will look at you real awkward. You're laying on the floor looking up at the dome. But that's our spot. We, we're allowed to go there and do that. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's so, fucking like I care not about what some security guard, you know, part-time yeah. fucking wannabe cop has to think about yeah. the weird shit. You would actually be surprised. Sometimes they're cool. Sometimes they're just laughing to themselves, you know. Sometimes they're yeah. cool about it. Yeah. But yeah, I think these, one way or another, like, I'll be honest, up until six months ago, I never even comprehended the fact of them being found. So when I was, I've been to these buildings doing research, but I'm, that's not where I was researching. You know what I'm saying? I was researching the dome. I was looking for the blueprints of the dome, mm -hmm. you know? But so now I'm having to go back and kind of go through my research. But 
either way, the buildings themselves in that dome, there's something special about them. They were built. There's that much energy put into those buildings regardless for a reason, you know? You know, However, it's... It, Super, super, super uh, interesting, too, that you bring that up because I hadn't really thought about that either uh, because they say that the whole building was built in that time period. But a lot of just like the um, the World's Fairs, you know, built in five months time. It's like two years to build this building. Yeah, well, well, in, Mich in Michigan, because Michigan is when it really dug into the dome. But in doing so, you know, I was at the Capitol. I've been at the Historical Museum going through all the records. And I have seen, you know, them all the way from the blueprints to vacant land to the, you know, the whole building process. Now, that being said, I'm at the museum and I'm at the Capitol. So there was any finagling. I guess they could do it there. But I, you know, I have seen the picture from start to scratch. So up until now, I never really questioned it. But now I do question it a little bit, you know, because there are strange things that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, Michigan, it did take six years, but the architect was brand new. Like, like, you know, that's weird to me. And the same architect, actually, he built the Colorado Capitol you were talking about. He built oh, that. Wow. He went from Michigan. He built Colorado. And he was a, he was new at this. And then he went from Colorado and he built Austin, Texas. What? If you haven't seen Austin, Texas Capitol, let's check out that. They have the dome like normal on the Capitol. But then in the front in the courtyard, they have an inverted dome that goes underground. What? As above, so below. Hard to even comprehend. They took the dome and out in the front yard, they got it inverted. So now you go down, you go down into the dome. It's really weird. What but, a trip. So, yeah, the same guy built all of those. It's a super trip, man. It's a super trip. And that part of it, though, was done. That wasn't done back in the 1800s. The inverted part they did. Honestly, I don't remember what year, but it's more modern. Why did they? The did, you, did, did you find a reason as to why? Yep, the re, their reasoning to why is more office space. So now they have supposedly more parking underground, and they have like an underground tunnel that leads from this inverted dome all the way up to the Capitol building. But supposedly they just have more office space on the ground now. <laughs> okay. You know, so. Sweet. <laughs> I'm sure that the, there's something more to it, and but, I'm gonna look into I'm that. Saying. That's some nuts shit, man. Yeah. Austin, Texas. So that's it. Somebody somewhere, you know, recognizes that the architecture in these buildings it's it's more than just for looks. You know, nobody's gonna go through all of this just for looks. No. Yeah, not not you the know. not the. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I I call our fucking government cheap because there's a lot of fucking poor people out here that need help with money, while there's a bunch of fat cats, you know, soaking in all all of the the monetary uh, worth out there, and we're giving, you know, forty billion dollars a week to Ukraine and stuff. So it's just like we, we are not cheap, uh, but our our obligations are not necessarily aligned with with mine. Uh, but if, if I were running this country, I mean, I, we'd be having food for us left and right and we'd still well, be, well, you sure. know, given indigenous, you know, goodness and understanding all that. But, um, we're running up on the two hours. So I want to ask you, um, maybe a final question. And then if we go and like any stories or anything that you want to share with everybody. Uh, but so we, we talked about 
cathedrals. We talked about Hart Plaza. We talked about um, uh, the Capitol buildings. But what about historic hotels? Because those are those are also occult and interesting architecture as well. Is there any crazy hotels there? Uh, there's one in Detroit called Fort Pontchartrain, and Fort Pontchartrain was a star fort. So where the second star fort was, it's now a hotel, you know, named after that star fort. And it's a haunted hotel, you know, just like you were talking about. It's a haunted hotel. Uh-oh. And uh, really the only hotel that has many stories in Detroit, a lot of them burnt down. Like there, there are a lot of old hotels in the late 1800s, big hotels, and they, you know, common story, they all burnt down and they rebuilt. But Fort Pontchartrain is the only one downtown I can think of that, you know, it's supposed to be haunted and it sits where the ancient star fort used to sit. Wow. So, okay. That's, there's fucking stuff there. Like, there's so much research to do. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot down there. There's hotels. See, in Detroit, the one big thing is the not just sculptures. There's sculptures everywhere. Lots of sculptures. And uh, pyramids and obelisks. Like, you <laughs> probably count going around town 30, 40 different obelisk sculptures, you know? Really? And the same guy, so the same guy who created, we didn't see pictures of it, but created the Stargate monument at Hart Plaza. Looks like a giant Stargate, literally. His name is David Barr. And he did what was called the Baseline Project across Detroit, or across Michigan. And we have what's called Eight Mile Road. And it's an east to west road that runs across the entire state of Michigan. It's called the baseline. So all the counties, north, south, east, and west were measured from this baseline back in the day. Hmm. Across this baseline, in every county, he put up a granite obelisk. So now we have wow. literally a, granite, a line of granite obelisk, county to county, across the entire state. What do you think obelisk so, symbolism is, in your opinion, through your research and work? I think it's a transmitter receiver. Mm. It's the male energy, and it's usually a transmitter receiver. That's how I take it. Okay. Usually when you see an obelisk, nine times out of ten, you're going to see an obelisk alongside an arch or an obelisk alongside a ring. And that's usually the male, the obelisk, and the ring or the arch is the female energy. And... So when you look at when I'm looking at gateway symbolism, if I find an arch and an obelisk, I know there's gonna be nine times out of ten there's gonna be a gateway sculpture somewhere in between, and it's it's always like that. They start looking for it, you'll notice when you see the arches and the obelisks, it's congruent with the gateways over and over again. That's wild. Yeah, I mean you're right. You you're absolutely right. And think of uh, think of the gateway arch. Mm. Now when you turn, now this was done intentionally. Euro Siren pointed out he did this intentionally. When you turn the gateway arch to its side, or stand, it looks like an obelisk. Yeah, absolutely. Then it's an arch. Both of those. Now you got the male energy, the female energy making the gateway. Whoa. And so, so these esoteric artists, so they, they know this. Like that was in 1947 when he designed this. And he, you know, 1947, Euro Siren knew the information already. Wow, that's okay. So that kind of leads into this whole like 
other kind of thought piece I have or whatever that there is so much occult esoteric uh, belief. There was a heightened period of it. I mean, even Hitler and the SS army, right? Like they were will they they were looking for occult information. That's what they said. They were deep esoteric occult researchers with some very obvious and malicious intent behind it. And uh, but I and then it heightened at World War Two, and then boom flat line yep. you know done yeah. like like it's not going to be readily available anymore um and so i don't know it's just so wild i feel like ni- 1947 might have been kind of that peak yeah for, the, for that time frame yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff obviously off the top of my head you had the roswell mm-hmm. but Errol serenin he envisioned the Gateway Arch in 1947. He had an idea for the Gateway Arch. Errol Saren also envisioned a park on the base of the Detroit River, Hart Plaza. The same guy who envisioned the Gateway Arch, it was his idea to build Hart Plaza. 1947, uh-huh. not envisioning the base to be seen from Mars. 1947, Crazy. Alistair Crowley dies right after he sees what he calls Lamb, who looks like a great alien. Yeah, yeah, 1947 is crazy, man. You can just go on it. Um, all kinds of stuff. And then, like you said, then it dropped. Uh, JPL, uh, what's his name? Elron and. Yeah, they did the work exactly. Like right around, that's what a lot of yep. people think that they're when they said. did the oh, homage to Pan, that's what opened up the portals. Yep, it all so the same time they're doing those and opening up these portals, these artists and architects are having visions of these gateway parks. I mean, so do they go together? I don't know, but it's all this stuff is super synchronistic. Man. You know what I'm saying? Like, it fucking is, dude. Like you couldn't make wow. this. It's crazy. No, you couldn't even make this stuff up. No, it's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, we couldn't come up with this kind of stuff. You know, so that's what makes you think there's something to it. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, so we didn't really talk about the Chicago stargate stuff but there is i before we got on the air i i kind of went down the rabbit hole of looking at uh anish kapoor the artist who did cloud gate which is a literal warping of time and space through it it's a huge metal cloud or something but um i i i screenshotted this and i want to read this really quick to you to see to get what your takeaway is on this um, and, a, and a little precursor. So Anish Kapoor got super rich and famous off of the Cloud Gate, right? One of the most famous modern artists of all time. And he created a new black color. I don't know if you know about this, but that's what this, this, this little article is. So here we go. Taking the advice of the people, Simple eventually decided to create his own super black. He said that it would be crowdsourced, affordable, and completely safe and available to everyone. Except, of course, Anish Kapoor. 
and a plus point is that his black would smell like black cherries. On the other hand, the Vanta black Kapoor brought is highly toxic, potentially explosive, and needs to be applied in a special laboratory and sealed properly. It cannot be moved across borders and can reach up to 300 degrees Celsius if not extremely careful, and at last, it costs thousands of dollars. So Anish Kapoor created this new color called Vanta Black, and it's he owns the rights to it. No one else is allowed to to access this Vanta Black. Hmm. You think that, about that. I think it, that sounds like Anish Kapoor. So <laughs> I, I, in my head, I can envision why he wants the color. One of his things he does is he makes what's called voids. And like these certain colored blacks will basically create this void. So I bet that's what he's doing with this black. But it's super interesting. He doesn't want no one else to have it. Now, this is what, out of all the artists and architects I've looked at, this guy that creates more of the portal sculptures or gateway sculptures than anyone I've came across. He's got them all across the world. And it's, it's, he does it intentionally. Like, there's no saying he went to create Cloudgate and he subconsciously came. No, he does this intentionally. He creates these gateways that, like you said, manipulate time and space. So, does this black in some aspect can it help the viewer? Does it manipulate time and space in some way? Would be my question. And wow. I say, when you go to these his sculptures, man, I say the one in Chicago, they call it the bean. And when you walk underneath of it, and you look up, it's kind of, it's got a mirror-like surface. You get the perfect spot, the oculus underneath of it. And you look up, you watch yourself start to rotate. What? Look like you're going through a portal. <laughs> and it's, it's, it can make you dizzy. Like when the first time I went there, like parents and their kids, they would walk out because they didn't expect it. And the kids are saying they're getting dizzy and stuff. But like me and my wife, we lay down and just let it happen. And you watch yourself, you get in the right spot and your reflection will start to circle. And it appears like you're going through the cloud gate portal. And he, he creates these experiences on purpose. Like he does this intentionally. But it's a cool experience, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, man, that's nuts, dude. I've been to Chicago, I didn't even see that. I wish I would've went there. Yeah, it's at Millennium Park. It's, it's, it's amazing. And there's, you know, there's symbolism all throughout that part too. It's all up. There's a giant the amphitheater shaped like a giant pine cone or a pineal gland. What? You soak up. Yep. The whole the whole amphitheater looks like a, a pine cone or a pineal what? gland. What? Created by Frank Gehry, famous architect. Uh, who did uh, the Disney Building in California? Oh. So, yep. So little connection there. There's a there's a serpent bridge. It looks just like the Serpent Mound, and there actually used to be a Serpent Mound in Chicago, so there's a bridge that actually correlates with used to be a Serpent Mound. But yeah, all these parts, it's kind of the same scenario, you know? That's nuts, man. Yeah, this Vanta Black color that he That's, created. He's trying to manipulate time and space in some aspect would be it, my best guess. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's, apparently it's an explosive color. Like, literally, it has to be made in a lab. It's explosive. And can reach really, really high temperatures. And apparently it's a bunch of these nanotubes of like carbon, carbon nanotubes. Like what the fuck? Somebody was going to, like it, he, it makes sense that he would do that to me. He's like, he's 
that makes sense to me in some weird way. I don't know why, but that makes sense. He would do that. Man, wow. That's so cool. Well, uh, Chad, this has been amazing. There's so much stuff people are going to take away from this episode. Uh, do you have any final messages, stories, you know, news, anything you want to share with the fire tribe? Many uh, story. I got a quick story. So we looked at all this gateway symbolism, you know, all through the years and it's, it's still emerging right to this day. Like two or three weeks ago, I was down in Detroit and I went to Belle Isle where we talked about the realm of the gatekeeper and the snake goddess. And at the tip of the island, my this is my favorite place to go when I lived in Detroit. It was the tip of Belle Isle where there's a lighthouse. The lighthouse used to have a fence around it so I could take my dogs and let them run around the lighthouse without them taking off on me. So I'd sit on the lighthouse steps and let my dogs run around and smoke. And anyway, I'm getting to the end of the island and and I see a new sculpture out there. Like, whoa, what is that? It's a giant ring-like sculpture. It looks like a gateway. I'm like, holy what? crap, I gotta check this out. You walk out there, it's got a boulder with a plaque on it. And it's called One World Under Michigan Stars. Oh. And the plaque goes on to say that this is the Southern Gateway, um, some bike trail that leads to the Northern Gateway. And this is a gateway for all experience. It says gateway like five or six times. Oh my gosh. So I'm like, what, you know, and I mean, if there's still straw on the ground with the growing grass, this thing just emerged, you know, recently this winter. So now the end of Bell Isle, the realm of the gatekeeper, the realm of the snake goddess, where we already had the white field male doe deer show up. Now we actually have a gate where if you look through that gate, it looks like right at Peach Isle, the realm of the gatekeeper. I mean, right so crazy you know so I, I mean i think it's just gonna keep coming you know i, I feel like it's just gonna keep coming it was most likely destined or it's, it's trying to resurface people tamp it out or not it's coming back dude that is so crazy man so let me ask you one more question before we go because hey. now is i mean we could honestly keep going for fucking more hours but <laughs> I got to go to this garage sale that's happening oh, today. Lord, I got to get this fucking bookshelf. <laughs> um, uh, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, so what right now, what famous people, like what really rich people are kind of like in and around Detroit? Famous rich people. That's what, yeah, I'm curious. Okay, the, I don't know much about this guy yet. So if anyone wants to dig into it, there's a guy by the name of Ralph C. Wilson. He just passed away, or it might be Ralph C. Wilson Jr. And he was the owner of the Buffalo Bills. I want to say he was like 95 years old. And the name of this gateway that I just talked about on Belle Isle is actually dedicated because it's part of the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. bike trail. And at the same time, I just seen on the news like two days ago, they're building a brand new park, right? Like a eighth of a mile from Hart Plaza called the Ralph C. Jr. Park. And they started showing pictures of this park and it looked like it's gonna have all kinds of symbolism again. 33rd degree Freemason says it right here. There you go. The one they only showed like one picture of this so-called park to come into existence, and they showed the kids area. And the feature of this park was this giant black bear slide. 
which made me think of Chief Sleeping Bear. Huh. You know? That's the only thing they showed them, like the giant bear slide the kids are going to love. You know, so I'm super curious. It's supposed to open up in 2024, you know. What's going to be it? I know there's going to be stuff there. It's, it's got to be, you know. It's got to be. Wow. Yeah. And like the first thing I found out about him is he's a 33rd degree Scottish right. There uh, we go, man. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, so I'm sure if somebody digs in, they're going to find all kinds of good stuff. And oh. this guy we already know. Dude, that's so wild. I mean, I, I'm just going to say it too. Also, like looking into the whole like sports thing, he was a sports um, you know, team owner. And there's a lot of these guys who are deep into gematria. And they say that every sports game is like it's pre-predicted, like they know exactly. So to th to know that a thirty-third degree Freemason owned a professional football team means that you know, hey, if they wanted to sprinkle some sort of esoteric information throughout these games, they fucking could. You're aware. And speaking last thing, speaking of sports people, are you familiar with Mike Illich Jr.? No. He's, okay, he's the owner of the Detroit Red Wings and nice everything in Detroit. Uh, Little Caesars Pizza from Little Caesars Pizza out there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Red Wings is Hermes and Little Caesars is kind of Hermes, right? No, he owns Little Caesars Pizza, Red Wings, everything. And he's into this stuff. I actually met him a couple years ago. Oh, wow. And he came out with not too long ago, every Little Caesars around town, he came out with what's called the Pizza Portal. Oh, my God. You don't got to go in and pay no more. You just place your order. And you come in and your pizza's waiting in the pizza portal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. They know like, all about this, dude. They, know they all do. About they do. Dude, yeah. they're not even fucking hiding it. Hey, man, pizza in a portal. I wish they would just fucking drone it over to my house and just drop well, it in my lap. They will. They will. Yeah, it's, it's coming. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, uh, just one final thing. Let everybody know your website and all that stuff and where they can reach out and find your amazing work and your book. Thank you, Thank you so much, Roman. Totally appreciate it. Uh, my website is chadstemke.com. Stemke is spelled S-T-E-E-M-K-E. -E. And uh, pretty much all my articles and work are over there. I got a new article. It should be up in the next week or so. And just check it out. Awesome. You, you you already know Fire Tribe. If you guys are into this stuff, just go check out the videos and all that. Like you just contribute, contribute, contribute by, you know, support, support, support. So you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out. Um, and if you can't get down with that, wake up.